This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading for today. The passage we will be reading from is Luke chapter 8, verses 22 to 56. Uh, we invite you to grab your Bibles and follow along. The passage will also be displayed on the slides in case you want to follow along over there as well. Now I'll be reading from the NIV and after I'm done reading, I'll invite Pastor Andrew Ong on stage to explain the passage to us. Luke chapter 8 verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. 
Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about twelve, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years, but no one could heal her. So she came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. I'll now invite Pastor Andrew to explain this passage to us. Okay, uh, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you this morning, we truly pray that you will help us to, to really not just understand the passage, but to, to let the power of your Son Jesus to be impressed upon our hearts so that whatever fear or worry or anxiety we have about the future will be only filled with faith in Jesus instead. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, one of the most shocking things that I've seen on YouTube uh, is a video from... Um, from Ukraine in the war. It's a video taken partly by CCTV camera and partly by handphone. Now, I'm not going to show you the whole video because obviously it's very shocking. Um, but it starts off with a very mundane, very normal uh, beginning with an old car traveling on a small country road. It's a very normal, ordinary scene. Inside the car are two old people, a man and a woman. They look like a husband and wife. So you can see the car here. I've taken a screenshot of the video. But as the video progresses on this CCTV, on the right-hand side of this T-junction, uh, two battle tanks can be seen coming up to the car. And very shockingly, uh, one of the battle tanks actually stops. And you can see the turret slowly turning, the gun leveling, and firing a shell straight at the car. 
and the car blows up, right? The whole uh, the front is, the, of the car is just blown up. And, uh, and the video then cuts from the CCTV to a handphone and actually shows that the people in the car are dead. Now, that's the reality of war, the reality of where grandchildren uh, will never see their grandparents, uh, where parents may never see their sons as they go into combat, where wives may not see their husbands as they go off to fight, where children may never see their parents. And these sort of images cause a lot of anxiety and worry and uh, fear in the world that we live in because we are under the threat of war. But it's not just the threat of war, I think, that causes us to be anxious, causes us to worry or to feel anxiety. There's also global warming. So especially as I talk to many young people, this is like the number one concern in their mind, right? The, the problem of the future where there is global warming. So last Sunday, after service, I went onto the computer and I went to the newspaper, and it was actually an article saying that for the very first time, there was heat waves. Can you imagine heat waves in the North Pole as well as the South Pole at the same time? I didn't even know you could have heat waves in the North and South Pole, but imagine having heat waves in both poles at the same time. But if global warming wasn't enough to worry about in this world, then we also have to worry about um, COVID variants, right? So we're all very happy today because, you know, there's relaxation of the COVID rules. We're very happy because, you know, it seems like things are getting better. But you still get newspaper reports here and there of where scientists actually warn that in the future, there may be a more serious COVID variant which comes along and which actually will result in all of us going back to where it was before or even worse, some of us getting really sick. So if it wasn't just the worry of war, the worry of COVID, the worry of global warming. There's also the worry of uh, global recession, right? Global recession, global inflation, global stagflation. So as a result, maybe it's just me, I'm a very worrying sort of person. The world can seem like a very anxious sort of place. You know, there are lots of things to worry about. And that's why today's passage is particularly relevant, right? Today's passage is particularly helpful and timely. Because today's passage actually shows us that there is a better way, an alternative to our worries, an answer to these threats. So context is very important. Last week in chapter 8, verse 1, in the first half, we saw that Jesus was preaching about the kingdom of God. All right? Remember last week he was preaching about the parables. So the first half of chapter 8 is really about teaching. Jesus is teaching the disciples, teaching the crowds, and so you know, the teaching was very uh, obvious and clear. But the second half of chapter 8, which we are looking at today, is full of narrative, narrative writing, narrative genre. Now, when it comes to narrative, there's a usual structure for some narrative. Maybe you've been reading books, some of you read books. And there's actually a, 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 a normal way that narrative works, where, you know, usually in the beginning of the book, there's a setting that tells you about the characters and the people who are there. And then these people face a threat or a challenge, something which they find very hard to handle, which leads to rising tension and fear. Now, this is what we see in the four miracles that we read today. The same pattern, right, of narrative. There's a setting, there's a threat, usually an impossible threat, humanly impossible to solve, and there's rising tension and fear as a result. So let's look at the first miracle, the first incident. So the setting here is quite clear. Jesus is going to the other side of the lake. They're on the Sea of Galilee. They get into a boat and they set out. 
A squall comes down over the lake. Squall is a big, big storm, okay? High winds, large waves, choppy seas, okay? Use your imagination. This squall is so big that the boat is threatened or being swamped by water and they were in great danger and they're obviously very fearful because the fear of drowning is a reality. Now, I want you to notice first and foremost as we've been reading through the book of Luke, the disciples, what was their occupation? You remember? They were fishermen. Alright, so they were fishermen. So they have been in many, many storms. This is not the first storm they've ever been in. They've been in more storms than they can count. This is not their first rodeo. Okay? And so when they feel fear that they're going to drown, it's not because they're imagining. Uh, no, they're not, they've got a, you know, lots of imagination or maybe it's because they feel you know, particularly anxious like me. But they really, really think that they're going to drown. Now, I want to give you a sense of, you know, the reality of what the situation is. So I managed to find this video uh, online, okay? Okay, so this is setting the threat and the reality of drowning. Okay, so this is the Sea of Galilee. Okay, can you see? Okay, for those of you in video, you can probably see it as well. You see all that dark area between the clouds, the sky, and the ocean? Okay, that is not more cloud. That's actually landmass. So the Sea of Galilee actually sits in this big bowl. Okay, you can travel now, so maybe one day you can go to the Sea of Galilee. But the Sea of Galilee is like in this big bowl with hills and mountains surrounding the sea. And so what happens is, because of these geographic unique properties, it's very easy for high winds to go down into the Sea of Galilee and for huge storms to be whipped up. And so I found this video on YouTube. Okay, let me see if I can start it. Okay, and you can see just how huge right, the waves are in the Sea of Galilee during this storm. Okay, I've got no sound effects. Uh, actually, the sound is there, but it doesn't play. Okay. Oh, how come it stopped? Huh? Okay, it's still going. Oh, it's lagging. But anyway, you all get the pressure, okay? Anyway, so this guy measured this storm, and what he found was the height of the waves was 10 feet. 10 feet is like higher than the green doors that you came in, okay? So imagine you're on this boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, and you've got these waves which are higher than the door coming at you. So that's the situation. That's why they are fearful. That's why they are so scared. You've got this terrifying, impossible threat. And then what happens? Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. Now this word here, rebuked, is the word that you use when a parent rebukes or scolds a child. So maybe you're on the receiving the end of that, right? Your, your parents scold you. Or it's like the, the, the word which is used for a teacher admonishing a student, okay? Or where an employer reprimands a subordinate when they do something wrong at work. That was a weird situation. Is this like there was a big storm near my house yesterday? Can you imagine me going up to the roof and scolding the storm? No, who does that, right? It's like the child. It's not the, the storm of the power of nature. It's not like a child, right? So I, I can't rebuke the, the storm and then it, it goes calm. But this is exactly what happens, right? Jesus 
rebukes the wind and the raging waters as if it was just like a small child and all was calm. And that's what we see in reality, right? We see this huge storm. Jesus speaks the word and it becomes like this. Calm. So the question is, who is Jesus, right? And that's the question that they ask and that's the question that we should be asking too. In fear and amazement, they ask one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water and they obey him. Because the reality is nobody can speak words and control weather, right? Jesus cannot just be a teacher. He cannot just be another healer. He cannot be human because humans cannot do things like this. He must be God. Because in the same way as God and Jesus created his creation, in the same way through his word, he has power over his creation. And as a result, what this is saying is Jesus is bigger and stronger and has more power than even the disciples can imagine. So when Jesus spoke the word and the sea went calm, Jesus is trying to teach them a lesson and Luke is trying to teach us a lesson. Because the disciples, they responded with fear in the face of the power of nature. Master, master, we're going to drown, they said. Now, Jesus then says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, I don't think that the disciples had zero faith. It doesn't mean that the disciples didn't believe that Jesus could heal. After all, they've seen Jesus heal and do special things. But it's just that they are estimation of Jesus, their evaluation of Jesus, was too small. Right? They saw this big storm and they thought, okay, we're going to drown. They didn't realize that Jesus has this overwhelming power to control nature. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Where is your faith? Right? Where is your faith in me and my ability to control nature and to overcome this threat? with a word. Now, I think this application for us is quite relevant, right? We live in a world where the forces of nature are truly threatening, right? All over the news, you read about countries which are experiencing record drought. You read of places experiencing forest fire. All around uh, us, we see of countries experiencing flooding and record sea levels. I was reading an article the other day saying the only way to really truly tackle global warming is for the whole world to come together to work together to stop our global emissions right you need china and russia to come together with europe and america but the problem is instead of working together we see now that countries are going to war and there is no cooperation and so we are right to be worried right we're right to be fearful about the threat of global warming the threat of nature but what we see here today is that ultimately we may not be able to solve the problem of global warming in, in our lifetime, in this world, through human effort. But in knowing Jesus, in putting our faith in Jesus, we know the one in whom has power over creation. Power over all of creation, including global warming, and one day he will be the one who will be the ultimate solution to all the threats and destructive nature of nature itself. Now that's the first incident, right? The first miracle. 
we are now told of a second incident. So what is the setting? Okay, remember I said that narrative begins with the setting. So what's the setting? In this setting, Jesus now reaches the other side of the shore. And at the other side of the shore, he's met, it says here, by a demon-possessed man. Now, in the English, demon can be singular, demon can be plural. But what the original language says here is the demon-possessed man is plural. That means this is a, many demons possess this man. There are many demons in this man. Okay, so, okay, that's quite serious. And for a long time, okay, so the possession was not just momentary or short-term. It was a long time that this man had been possessed by many demons. And this demon was destructive. In a sense, this man was like the embodiment of humans or humanity. And this man, this many demons were showing their destructive nature against this man. He had no worn clothes, right? He'd been stripped of his human dignity. What it means to be human. He had not lived in the house, but lived in the tombs, okay? He was like subject to human isolation. There was a breakdown in relationship. He was exceedingly powerful, right? He had broken his chains, metal chains from what we understand, and he had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Now this word here, driven, is the idea of slavery. The idea of slavery. I remember C.S. Lewis, if you ever get a chance to read C.S. Lewis, uh, there was one book where I remember there was this terrifying image of how he pictured this human person and like this demon sitting on his shoulder and, and like the human was chained to the, the demon and the human was kind of like enslaved and oppressed by the demon. And this is the sort of like the picture we see here, isn't it? This multifaceted many demons was like sitting on this guy's shoulder and driving him and making him do his will and destroying this man. And so Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. Now this word legion is actually a, a, a Roman military term for 1,000 soldiers. Wow, that's a lot of soldiers, right? Now we're not sure whether that means that there were literally 1,000 demons in this guy. But whatever it is, this guy has like a concentrated, he is like a concentrated ball of demonic possession. Okay? You know, in this one person, there's this like focused demonic possession in this guy, that like thousands, right? Or hundreds of demons in this guy. Now this word here, legion, is also a military term. You know, it's got a very specific military application. And in, in some way, what the demons are saying also is like this guy is like under spiritual occupation. Right? It's like the demons have militarily occupied this person. So what we see here in this situation is really an impossible spiritual, demonic, malevolent, destructive force, right? Humanly impossible to solve. Humanly impossible to overcome. Uh, all the people in the, in the village are unable to control this guy even by putting metal chains on him. So here is the problem that Jesus faces. 
But I want you to contrast it with the complete reversal of what happens next. Because when he sees Jesus, this man with the legion, he cried out and fell at his feet, at Jesus' feet, shouting at the top of his voice. Okay, I don't want to shout. Okay. What do you want of me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, don't torture me. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there in the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. What a stunning transformation, right? What a reversal. Here was this legion, ball of concentrated demonic destructive possession. No one could get rid of the demons. And here is this legion falling down in submission before Jesus. And the word that keeps being repeated here is, I beg you repeatedly, I beg, I beg, I beg. He, the demons beg Jesus not to send them into abyss and ask instead for permission. So that means that Jesus has power, absolute power, over the legion demonic force. And Jesus, with a word, right, is able to allow this demon to leave this man. Now how is that possible? It's possible, and we're told why it's possible, because the demon supernaturally is able to see the truth of Jesus' identity. Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And because He's the Son of the Most High God, and He is God in Himself, in His very nature, He can speak a word to calm the storm, and He can speak a word so that the demon will be cast out. Now, many commentators say that this uh, passage is one of the hardest for modern readers to accept. You know, we can, we can kind of accept the danger of Nature, right? I mean, after all, we're scared of global warming, scared of thunderstorms. But many modern human beings, we are very skeptical about the Satan or, or evil spiritual forces. I remember reading a survey, uh, I googled it, that only uh, 50 to 60% of uh, people actually believe in the existence of Satan, which is like very low, isn't it? But even before I became a Christian, I remember I believed in evil, destructive, spiritual, malevolent forces. Uh, I told you about my, my friend, the Indonesian atheist guy in Australia studying with me, and how you know, he didn't take care of the family altar, and then he, he felt like this dark cloud came over him, and he was looking out into the world like with dark glasses. But over the last few years, I've spoken to people who tell me about their friends or their relatives or even themselves, that, that you know, they used to worship idols or they used to uh, worship alt at the altar and when they uh, were thinking of getting rid of the idols or getting rid of the altars, they would find bad things happening to them. They would get nightmares, they would see things, but also bad things would happen to them. And these were not illusions, right? These were not imaginations, not psychological, but really Bad things happen and bad, you know, they saw bad things. So, the existence of, of, of malevolent, destructive, evil spirits, Satan, is real. But don't just believe the experiences of these people that I've spoken to. 
believe what the Bible says. Because Luke, as we have seen, wants us to be certain of the things that he tells us about. So in verse 34, he tells us that when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Two things we note here. One is the destruction of all the pigs. The second thing is the man sitting there calmly in bright mind with Jesus. Because of this eyewitness from the town and those tending the pigs, we know the reality of malevolent, destructive, evil, satanic, spiritual forces. At the same time, we also know then that Jesus has the power over these forces. He is God. I think it's very important for us that as we read the Bible, we need to really recognize that the devil and Satan are real, right? Since the Garden of Eden, in the book of Genesis, the early chapters, we see that Satan and the devil and these evil forces are opposed to God and they choose to want to destroy humanity. So as we see later on in the book of Luke, heaven rejoices when sinners come to salvation. So in the very same way, hell rejoices when humanity is destroyed and condemned. All the more then we need Jesus, right? All the more then we need the power of Jesus because he's the only one who is able to protect us and to overcome the destructive threat of Satan and the devil and evil spirits. But the sad thing is, as we look at this passage, as we look at verse 34 to 39, the people, the townspeople, the country people, they don't want Jesus. They don't want the protection of Jesus. They don't want the freedom from oppression that Jesus brings. Indeed, it says here in the passage that when they saw the man sitting at Jesus' feet in his right mind, they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man was cured, or had been cured. Okay, how was the demon-possessed man cured? He was cured because the demons went into the pigs and then the pigs then went into the, the sea and they all died, right? Ecological disaster. Then all the people of the region of Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. Okay, now this word here, fear, is literally megaphobos, right? Megaphobia. They had a megaphobia. They were terrified of Jesus. Why were they terrified of Jesus? Because in curing, in a sense, the man, in casting out the demon legion, all the pigs had died. And so they were afraid. They were afraid of the, the change that Jesus would bring. They were afraid of the comfortable life and the material possessions that they had. They were afraid that these things would be lost if Jesus stayed among them. But that's so, so tragic, right? Because here were people, just like perhaps people that we know today, who would be happy with material riches, happy with their comfortable life, even with the threat of spiritual, evil, destructive, malevolent, satanic forces oppressing them. Rather than the freedom of Jesus freeing them from these malevolent, destructive, satanic forces and having their lives 
disrupted. In a sense, they're happy with Satan sitting on their shoulder, driving them along as long as their comfortable material life was untouched. How sad that is. Now, in the next incident, we actually have a combination uh, in the narrative of two miracles of Jesus, right? So the first one was of this woman, and she'd been bleeding for 12 years. Now, I think for some of us here, obviously, for those of us who are very young, we can't identify this problem. For those of us who are men, we also can't identify this problem. But this woman suffered terribly for those 12 years. It's like having a period for 12 years. The, the, the pain, the discomfort, the agony of those 12 years are unimaginable. But it wasn't just the agony of this continuous bleeding, right? Can you imagine you're just bleeding continuously for 12 years? It was the social isolation, the embarrassment of constantly having your period. It was the religious isolation because she was ceremonially unclean. And therefore, she couldn't go to the temple. She was excluded from meeting with God among God's people at the temple. So just like Jesus and the storm and Jesus with the demonic legion, we see that Jesus is faced here with this impossible threat because we know that as we look at this passage, she was unable to be healed for those 12 years. So here we find the threat of disease, uncurable disease. Weaved in among this narrative is the story of this young girl. Right, okay? She faces death, Jairus' daughter. But in this narrative, we see actually an escalation, an elevation in a sense of the challenge that Jesus faces. Because we find that in his effort to explain what happened to the bleeding woman, the young girl dies. Game over. So of all the four incidences, it's almost like this escalation of like difficulty, right? And here we see the most impossible, hopeless challenge, which is death itself, right? Death, in a sense, is like the greatest enemy, the greatest threat, the greatest destructive force humans can experience, which actually challenge us, right? So here we have these two impossible situations, the the impossible disease and the impossible and curable death. Again, what happens? Well, the woman, she comes up behind him and touches the edge of his cloak. Can you imagine? It's not just touch him. Touches like the thread of his cloak, you know. And immediately, it says her bleeding stopped. And again, we are told, at verse 47, instantly she had been healed. Again, with the woman, the little girl who died, Jesus speaks to the girl. My child, get up. And she lives again. She stands up and she starts eating. And it all happens instantly, immediately. So through these two incidences, through these two miracles, we see Jesus having tremendous power. He's a big God. He's able to overcome disease and over, 
able to overcome death. And that's why, if you look at the passage, a lot of that passage in the last section of chapter 8 is all about dialogue. Right? Dialogue. Jesus takes the time to speak to the crowd, speak to the woman, speak to Jairus, speak to the children. He wants to, them to learn about how to respond to him. Okay, so how are they to respond to him? Daughter, your faith has healed you or saved you. Go in peace. Now, we need to pay close attention to what Jesus is saying here, okay? When it says, daughter, your faith has healed you or saved you. Go in peace. What exactly is Jesus saying here? The woman is already healed, right? Is he just saying the obvious? It's like, it's like you know, you're, you know, you're, you're healed. Okay, I, I tell you again, you're healed. What's the point? I think what Jesus is saying here is something actually more deep and profound. The word healed is the same word as saved. And the idea of peace here, I don't think is a, a psychological, emotional state, right? But it's a relational state of peace. So the words here, daughter, your faith has healed you, is the same word that we read in Luke chapter 1, where it's prophesied about Jesus that he would give his people knowledge of salvation, or the same word healing through the forgiveness of sins. And in verse 79, to shine on those living in the darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the, pe- in the path of peace, not, not psychological, emotional peace or mental health peace, but real, real peace. Okay? Again, if you remember, in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus encountered the sinful woman, do you remember the one who was crying and, and all her tears got onto Jesus' feet and then she wiped his, her, her, his feet with her hair and poured perfume on him? What does Jesus say to him? To her, sorry. Your faith has healed you or saved you. Go in peace. So I think what we're supposed to see here is at one level, the faith of this woman, the bleeding woman, has healed her physically. But I think there's more to it. Jesus is saying to the woman and to the crowd, the faith of this woman, this bleeding woman, not just heals her in a physical way, but heals her and saves her in an eternal way where she is at peace with God. And that's the power of Jesus, right? Jesus not just has the power of a disease, but brings true eternal healing and peace with God. Now Jesus instructs the uh, Jairus to have faith and not to fear. Now I want us to note that when the men came from Jairus' house, the synagogue ruler, what did they say to Jesus? Your daughter is dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Okay, let's understand exactly what's happening here. They were happy for Jesus to come when the girl was sick. But now that the girl is dead, don't bother the teacher anymore. What this betrays is that they have faith in Jesus, faith only limited to him being the teacher, faith only limited to him with power to heal, to heal disease and sickness. 
But beyond that, they don't have faith. But Jesus is saying to Jairus, look, don't be afraid. Just believe. Because I'm not just a mere teacher who can heal, but I'm God and divine, and I can actually overcome death in itself. See, I want you to reflect on what Jesus says, right, to the people in the crowd. She is not dead, he says. She is asleep. But if you were to get a doctor and to check her on that day, what would the doctor say? She is really dead, right? I mean, she is not asleep. She is dead, dead, dead. She is dead in our eyes because for us, she will never live again. But for someone like Jesus, she's only merely asleep because he can raise the dead. For everyone, she's really dead. But in Jesus, everyone who dies is really only asleep because he can raise the dead. And so Jesus is trying to teach us, as he taught Jairus, that he is not a small God. He is the biggest of all Beings, right? He is able to overcome every problem, even death itself. So in conclusion, over the last year or two, I've been reading articles about how people no longer trust their leaders, right? Their political leaders, government, even the health authorities. They sort of say, you know, the prime minister and the president, they're just human beings like us, right? They're all fallible. They make mistakes. They don't know the reality of this. They make bad decisions. But Jesus is really different, right? So you think about it, can Joe Biden calm the storm with a word? No, right? Can Xi Jinping raise the dead? No, right? But Jesus, he's not just another human being. He is God in himself. He's not just a teacher, but you know, he's the son of the Most High. And he is able to do everything and anything. So, don't be afraid just believe. Many years ago, my father-in-law was dying of cancer. He tried chemotherapy, didn't work. He tried alternative medicine, uh, didn't work. But my father-in-law, he was terrified of dying. He really, really feared death. You know, you could, you could, in your conversations with him, he was really scared of death. He didn't want to die. We spoke to him about Jesus. We shared the gospel of Jesus with him. And the greatest transformation came over him. He was no longer afraid of dying. He was, in a sense, truly at peace with death. Because he knew that Jesus would save him and he would only be asleep. He was no longer anxious. He was no longer terrified. this, This great change came over him. Because he realized that in every way, Jesus was God, right? And with Jesus, nothing is impossible. Jesus is able to solve even the problem of death itself. So I hope for all of us today, if you do have fears and anxieties, worries, that today actually teaches us that Jesus is big enough to overcome every worry that you have, that Jesus is big enough to overcome every threat that threatens to destroy us, that we need not to see Jesus as a small, small 
person, but indeed he's a huge, huge God. And we are not to fear, but to have faith. Let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to help us. We live in a world where there are many threats, more today than perhaps ever before. The threat of disease, the threat of nature, the threat of war, the threat of destruction, the threat of death. Help us as we read your word to see that Jesus is your son, the son of the most high God in every way. He has in his nature divinity, God-likeness, sovereignty, and power. Dear Father, help us to trust him, to have faith in him, to believe in him, that he is able and he is willing to overcome all things for us. And so in this way, not to be afraid. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Andrew. Now, because uh, time has escaped us, so we will not have the reflection or discussion time, but I would strongly encourage us to perhaps take a picture of the discussion questions so that we can talk about them over lunch or in our own homes. So the first question is, what do I fear? And the second question is, how can I replace that fear with faith in Jesus? Uh, for those of you joining us over Zoom, do feel free to screenshot the discussion questions um, and talk about them in your own time. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.